Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Have you noticed how organized your parents used to be? Or maybe you've seen that they've stopped taking care of themselves physically when you see them in person or via FaceTime or Zoom. If so, it may be time that you have a conversation with your parents about their health and financial well-being. Cameron Huddleston, a mom of three kids, was also a caregiver for her own mother who had Alzheimer's disease. It was a stressful situation that she wouldn't wish on anybody, but it gave her great insights into how financially devastating Alzheimer's and dementia can be. It made Cameron realize how important it is for adult children to be having conversations with their parents about their finances before a health issue or other emergency leaves their parents unable to manage their own finances. Her situation moved her to write the book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. One way to spark a conversation with parents is to ask them for advice when it comes to financial matters. Cameron noted that this approach can ease fears and tensions around taking the first step to determine how you may be able to help. Please enjoy my conversation with Cameron Huddleston. All right. So Cameron Huddleston, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And uh, thank God for technology. This is part two because our first part was interrupted by a thunderstorm. So uh, classic Michigan, but we are glad to have you on on the show. I'm, I'm so glad to be here and I'm so glad your um, Zoom is up and running again um, yeah, so that hope- we can continue our conversation or essentially just start all over yeah, again. We're, yeah. For, and for our listening audience, we're actually just starting over. We were probably 15 minutes into this conversation when we lost <laughs> power. So I think, uh, Cameron, for our listenership, let's start with a little bit about your background, and then we'll we'll wave, weave our way into the topic that we're really going to talk today about is how to talk to your parents about financial decisions and having difficult conversations. And you wrote the book, um, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, and we'll eventually get there. But if, for, for our listenership, talk to us a little bit about your background, what you do, and how you got started. Sure. So I have been a personal finance journalist for 20 years. I didn't begin my career as a journalist thinking that I was going to write about personal finance. I just kind of happened to fall in to the field of personal finance reporting. And that was (laughs) way back in uh, 2000. Yes. (laughs) You didn't need to date yourself. It's okay. I know it. I know it. Well, I'm a child prodigy. And so, you know, I graduated college when I was 10. So really I'm, you know, super young. Um, (laughs) um, No, but I, you know, I wanted to, um, I wanted to cover the economy. And when I 
graduated from American University with a master's in economic journalism, we were heading into an economic downturn. And I had a job with Dow Jones Newswires before, but they had a hiring freeze and I couldn't get my job back. Bloomberg wasn't hiring, but Kiplinger's Personal Finance magazine was looking for an editor for its website. And I had never written about personal finance, but they were willing to take a chance on me. And I ended up writing for them for 14 years, covering all facets of personal finance. And here's a little secret about journalists. So most of us, when we, we have this degree in journalism, or maybe we don't even have a degree in journalism, but we get that first job with a newspaper, magazine or whatever. And a lot of it is learning on the job. You know, you learn, you don't know about how to cover the court system or police, but you get thrown into it and you learn how to cover it. You don't know about covering local government. You learn on the job. Well, I learned about personal finance on the job. And if you've been doing it for as long as I have, you learn a lot by interviewing experts like you, Paul. You interview <laughs> a lot of financial planners. You 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 interview, you know, you interview brokers, you interview, you know, insurance experts, you interview college savings experts, you interview them all, and you pick up a lot of knowledge along the way. And so I feel like I have a I have a pretty good grasp of personal finance now after 20 years of writing about it. Um, but I, I never really expected my career to take the turn it did into writing about talking to your parents about their finances. I mean, <laughs> most people don't want to have this conversation. A lot of people are reluctant to talk about money in general. And I didn't have the conversation with my mom about her finances until I had to, until she started having memory issues. And I realized oh my gosh, I, I've got to scramble here. I've got to get involved. I've got to have these conversations. I've got to figure things out now. And so that's what prompted me to write my book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, because I didn't want people to make the same mistake I did and wait for that emergency to have these conversations. So let me let me go back to one of the pieces that, that you mentioned. And it's really how the podcast started is I was interested in having conversations with experts like you about all of these different, they, I think they really come down to life transitions, whether it's a career or talking to your parents or talking to your kids about money. I mean, to your point, it's a really still like taboo topic that, that doesn't get talked about or brought up enough. And to me, yeah, I was a podcast, I guess, junkie, if you will, when they first start coming out. But I never thought that you know eventually I would have my own show, and it it just kind of developed out of more of a selfish need or want for me to be able to sit down and have these conversations with people like you. And a, a few episodes ago, I interviewed Sarah Green Carmichael, who's an editor at Bloomberg, and prior to that, she was editor at you know Harvard Business Review. And I asked her one of the questions I had asked her was. Like, how do you pick and choose your stories? Like, how do you pick and choose what you you know read about and or talk about or write about? And she's like, they just kind of find you, and you just have this curiosity. And so, I would imagine that was what it was like for you, you know, at Kiplinger's about you know being thrust into the life or the world of you know personal financial you know topics. Exactly. I mean, there there are lots of ways that we come up with our story ideas as reporters. I mean, there's there's this whole PR industry out there. And so you're getting these pitches from companies all the time, you know, interview our expert, you know, write about this topic. Uh, you know, a lot of it is kind of 
what's happening in the news in general, what's going on in the world and how does that relate to people's finances? And so you want to write about, write articles explaining how, what maybe, you know, current events can affect people's finances. I mean, if there's an emergency like a pandemic, okay, what do people need to know to be prepared? Well, you need to have life insurance because now you're aware of your mortality. And I can tell you the pandemic really raised awareness about buying life insurance, life insurance sales soared, you know, the need for an emergency fund so that if you lose your job, you have money there to tide you over until you can get a new job. And so a lot of times it's what's going on in the world that can help us figure out what to write so that people know how to manage their finances in these situations. Um, you know, and, and with my book, it was funny that it was a podcast interview that spurred me to write my book. I was being interviewed by the Credit Reporting Bureau Experian. They have a podcast and there were two hosts. I was at a conference and so they were interviewing a lot of the attendees. And we were talking about an article I had written about, you know, helping parents with their finances. And I was talking about my experience with my mom who had Alzheimer's disease and both of the hosts, one of them younger than I was at the time, one of them a little bit older, they kind of stopped me in the middle of this conversation and said, you know, I need to be talking to my parents about their finances. What if I end up in this role where I have to help them? You know, the other host said the same thing. And then after the recording was done, the person who was managing the tech side of things stopped me and said, I need to talk to my parents. How do I do this? And there was another person in the room. There were four people there and they all stopped me and said, I need to have these conversations. How do I do it? And that made me realize this is the book I need to write. I need to help people realize they need to be talking to their parents. I need to help them have the conversations, walk them through the process, let them know what they should be asking. And so that's what that's what gave me the idea to write Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, this podcast interview that I had had. <laughs> that's fascinating. Did you, had you ever thought about writing a book before that? I had. I was thinking at the time about writing a book, but I was really trying to settle on what the topic should be. When I was writing for Kiplinger's, I had a daily column and it was money-saving tips. And I thought about writing a book along those lines, but I thought, you know, there are so many people covering that topic already. And so yeah, I was toying with the idea of, you know, family finances. And really it was that, that interview that made me realize, okay, this is what people want to know. There are plenty of people out there who want to know how to have these conversations. And I think that's one of the interesting things that I've seen develop in me personally as a financial advisor really over the last couple of years is gravitating, talking about, writing about, having conversations about the tactics of financial planning versus the more emotional part of financial planning. Like these conversations with your parents or having conversations with kids of all ages, whether like they're, they're like my triplets, they're 10 and my plus one is eight. And so we're talking about money a lot. And, you know, I've read, you know, several books, the first national bank of dad, David Owen. So David, if you're listening to this, I'm still trying to get you scheduled to get on here because like in David's book, he talks about setting up the first national bank of dad or the, in the dad stock exchange, which, you know, I've taken those ideas and started implementing with my own kids. So it's, you know, talking about them at an early age with, with about money. And then, you know, as they get older, then, then you start having those really hard conversations about college. And I have a lot of kids that I'm, you know, K 
kids. I, I talk like they're my own kids, but you know, having these conversations with parents and their kids about college and how much we can afford and where to go and, and all those things. And I think when people think financial planner, wealth advisor, whatever you want to call us, they think of, well, that's the person that manages my money. That's my money woman or man, if you will. And the, I don't think most people give thought to all these other really life transitions. And that's what this podcast has turned into be a lot about life transitions and having these conversations with your parents is, is one of those. And I think there's a lot, a lot of us now that are kind of getting behind that and pushing the industry in a different direction to say, no, it's not about, you know, these money saving hacks, if you will. It's more about, do you have an estate plan? Because in the first seven months of COVID, I personally saw a major spike in putting together estate plans. You know, people that had waited years were like, okay, I'm doing this now. And I think uh, financial planners are in a really good position to help foster these conversations. I mean, money money is emotional. There are a lot of emotions tied up in the money. And that's why these conversations are so hard. I grew up in a family, Southern family, with parents who taught me, you don't talk about money. It is impolite. You don't ask people about how much money they're making. You don't ask people about how much they spent to buy things. And so this, this is the idea that I was raised with. Don't talk about money. And my dad was much more silent on the matter than my mom. My mom didn't have as much of an issue talking about it. And because she was a stay-at-home mom, I spent a lot of time with her, going to the store with her. And so she was more forthcoming and I could see how she was handling money just in her day-to-day activities. My dad, it was all a great big mystery. And my dad, my parents got divorced while I was in college. My dad got remarried. My dad ended up passing away at 61 in a second marriage without a will. Oh, man. And he was an attorney. He was an attorney. He should have known better. You know, and looking back, I realized I probably had an opportunity to ask my dad whether he had estate planning documents when I got married. You know, so anyone who's out there and they're young and they're just starting out, a really easy way to start these conversations with your parents is to ask them for advice. Hey, mom and dad, I just got married. Do I need to have a will now? Should I have life insurance? Their answer is going to give you a clue about what sort of planning they have done. You know, you could talk about the pandemic. You know, hey, I've been reading all these articles about how people should be better prepared. You know, did you do anything during the pandemic to prepare your finances, to prepare your state plans? I mean, you ask your parents for advice because then there's no role reversal. And parents, like doling out advice to their kids. So if you're young, it's a natural way to start it. And I could have asked my dad, you know, back when I got married, hey, dad, I'm married now. Do I need a will? And he would say, well, yeah, you should probably do that. Maybe I should do that too, because I haven't ever updated mine since I got divorced and remarried. Um, (laughs) You know, and that might have solved some issues that, you know, my family had to deal with after he passed away without a will and no one knew what his wishes were. Um, And so that's really a simple way to start the conversation. Ask your parents for advice. That is a really good point. And, you know, going back to your dad, I mean, 61 is really young. So not only was A, he young, B, like you said, he was, you know, divorced and remarried, which adds even more complexity to the situation. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And I know I often get asked, you know, when should people be having these conversations? Do I wait till my parents are in their 70s, their 80s, they're healthy, you know, they're young. I don't need to have this conversation now. Well, this is exactly the time to have the conversation when your parents are healthy and young. You never know what's going to happen. Not only did my dad pass away at 61, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease at the age of 65. That is also young. It's not early onset at that point, but it's still young. I was 35 at the time. And so if you think these conversations can wait until your parents have already retired, they're in their 70s or 80s, it can be too late at that point. You never know when something's going to happen. So you want to have these conversations now, sooner rather than later. And I think that's a, I think that's a challenge, at least me talking openly and personally, is getting people to just initiate and start having those conversations. And it doesn't have to be about your parents. It's just, you know, between, you know, partners or husband and wife. It, I think people struggle with this, taking that first initial step. They're paralyzed by fear. They don't know who to turn to. They're overwhelmed because what gets the headlines? It's not the good financial advisor down the street that just saved a family from you know catastrophic financial ruin. It's Bernie Madoff just ripped off billions of dollars from people. And it takes it takes a very unique and trusting relationship for somebody to turn over their life savings to somebody. And so like, I, I understand that I'm very empathetic. And when I'm sitting down with new, new families, I make it very clear to them that I understand your situation. I mean, I'm here to help, but I also know that it's, there's gotta be some trepidation or fear on your part, just getting to this point to sitting down and having a conversation. And I remind them that this relationship of trust isn't built overnight. You know, like just because you're signing on for me to help you and your family, I'm not. I'm not taking that as you 100% complicitly trust me. You know, this is going to take time and years to build. This is not a quick transaction, and I think that's really important. Whether you work with somebody like me in a family office or you work with anybody, that it takes time to develop that relationship, and you should go into it eyes wide open. And it takes time when you're trying to have these conversations often to get your parents comfortable with sharing this sensitive information with you. I think a lot of people don't want to have these conversations because of fear. They are afraid of how their parents might react. But oftentimes we blow these fears out of proportion in our head. We play out all these scenarios. If I go to mom and dad and ask them to share with me some information about their finances, they're going to get mad. They're going to accuse me of being nosy. They're going to accuse me of being greedy. They're going to storm out of the room. Well, that's most likely not going to happen, especially if you approach these conversations out of love and respect. If you let your parents know that you want to be able to help them if they ever need help, they took great care of you while you were growing up. You want to return that favor, but In order to do that, you're going to need a little bit of information. You want to know what their wishes are so you can follow through on those wishes. And this is this is how you approach it. You know, if you go to your parents and say, hey, mom and dad, I want to know, do you have a will? And I want to know what I'm getting. Well, of course, they're (laughs) going to be put off by a question like that. Of course, they're going to assume you're greedy. But if you approach it out of love and you let them know you are looking out for their best interests and you want to know what their wishes are so that you 
can grant those wishes, then most likely they're not going to push back. Most likely they're going to say, thank you for bringing this up. This is an important conversation that we need to have. And I don't know why I didn't think of having it because, you know, oftentimes parents realize the need for this, but they just don't ever get around to it. And, and so if you let them know that you're willing to have this conversation, most likely they are going to be willing to talk. Now, that doesn't mean that every parent is going to open up. There will be parents who refuse to have this conversation. And so it's going to take several attempts, several different approaches, you know, and you might have to start just by talking about big picture issues. You know, how do you want to be remembered or how's your retirement going? Are you able to do the traveling that you thought you were going to do? Just ease them into the idea of talking about this issue in general. Don't ask them about you know, what you're getting someday when they're gone or how much is in the bank account. Don't talk about dollars and cents. Just talk about big picture issues. Ease your way in. This is going to be a series of conversations, you know, and prepare for the fact that they might be resistant, but accept that most parents are probably going to be willing to have this conversation. It's really only a handful who are really going to push back. And, and those, it's just going to take more time, you know, and there could be some, there certainly will be some parents who are going to resist all your efforts. Um, and then you really have to get creative and we can talk about that if you want, but most parents are going to be willing to have this conversation. So the fears that you have, you need to set them aside. So that's, that's an interesting point. And I wonder if you've seen this or if you talk about it in the book where, by having like this initial conversation with a set of parents, the fact that they've never had the conversation between each other, which then spurs, oh, well, we've never thought about this. So what do we do? Because I think that's important because in most relationships that I work with people in, um, whether it's partners or spouses, there's typically always one dominant financial person. So they know they know everything. And the other person may know a little or nine times out of 10, they don't, they don't know hardly any of what's going on financially. And so one of my jobs as an advisor that I, I view as is getting people to a level playing field because God forbid something happened to the wife that handles all the finances and the husband doesn't know what to do or vice versa. Um, can you give an example or talk through like maybe what you've seen with, with, with how, a, a conversation from child to parent then creates another conversation between parents and go from it's, there. It's, it's such a good point because you're right. A lot of times there's one person, one spouse who handles the finances. And, you know, this can actually be a good way to start the conversation. If you, if you've been trying to have these conversations, if your parents are reluctant, you know, maybe you, the, the sore point here is that mom doesn't know anything about the family finances and dad's handling everything. And so maybe you approach it like, hey, dad, um, I know that you handle the finances for the family. I would love to have a conversation with you, though. If something were to happen to you, how can we make sure that mom is okay? So it's getting dad to think about how to get mom involved and what the kids need to know to protect mom, because most likely dad wants to make sure that mom's going to be okay. Yeah, that's a great point. And so that can be a good way to start it. And, you know, to get mom on board too, or maybe, you know, I don't want to ever say, you know, the kids need to pit the parents against each other, but maybe you go to mom and say, you know, mom, I know the dad usually handles the finances, but if he's not around, what happens to you? Um, Have you ever talked to dad about this? So maybe starting the conversation with mom and saying, have you ever talked to dad about it? And so then maybe mom initiates the conversation with dad saying, 
hey, honey, I, I, I need some information about the finances in case something happens to you. And by the way, maybe we should share some of this with the kids. You know, I would certainly tell you, Ball, that if you are working with clients who, you know, are younger and have older parents, a good way for them to start the conversation is to share their own financial planning experience. Hey, mom and dad, I have been meeting with a financial planner to get my finances in order, or I recently met with an attorney and we drafted all of our estate planning documents. Mom and dad, I want you to know about my plans. I want you to know about these estate planning documents, where the life insurance policy is. So in case something happens to me, you know where this is. So you're not, you're talking about your own experience. And then your parents are going to, if you're lucky, say, oh, you know, we need to let you know where those documents are too, in case something happens to us. Or, oh my gosh, we need to meet with an attorney to make sure we have those documents in place. And so what you're kind of doing is planting that seed in your parents' head. And then they might think, well, oh, hey, we need to do this. And then in a way it becomes their idea. Oh, we need to, we need to let the kids know where the stuff is so that they're prepared in case something happens to us. It's another way to have these conversations so they're not so awkward. It's it's funny you give it as an example because I swear this com- comes up in almost every uh, conversation I have with people is this 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 word of reframing <laughs> and how you just went through that is I've had psychologists on and 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 it's always about reframing like taking a question inverting it, it it's in that and life transitions reframing and life transitions you know that those are the storylines of this this uh, this podcast show for sure so what are what are some of the signs that kids should be looking for in their parents that, okay, I think we should, we should start trying to figure out how to have this conversation. Like, are there some signs? Did you, did you see signs with your, with your mom? Is that kind of what led you to your conversation with her? I did. And I really should have had the conversation sooner. I had an opportunity to have a good conversation with her, well before she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I when I moved from Washington, D.C. back to my home state of Kentucky, I had this conversation with my mom right after I moved. Hey, mom, you should look into long-term care insurance. You're on your own. If you end up needing long-term care, this would help pay for that care. Well, she couldn't get long-term care insurance because she had another pre-existing condition that made her too high risk. And I should have used that opportunity to sit down with her and say, okay, you can't get long-term care insurance. Let's look at your finances and figure out how we would pay for care if you needed it, what sort of care you want. But like I said, drop the ball, didn't have that conversation. And so when she started showing signs of memory loss, I knew I had to get involved really quick to make sure she met with an attorney to update all of her legal documents. And this is so important. Like this is, this is the key conversation. If you can only have one conversation with your parents, this is the conversation. Do they have estate planning documents? Do they have a will that spells out who gets what when they die or trust? More importantly, though, do they have a power of attorney? Have they named someone to make financial decisions for them? And do they have a healthcare surrogate, someone who can make healthcare decisions for them once they no longer can themselves? And ideally, do they also have a living will, something that spells out what sort of end of life medical treatment they do or do not want? These documents must be signed while you are still mentally competent. Even though my mom was starting to experience memory loss, when she met with the attorney, the attorney deemed that she was still competent enough to sign these documents 
She named both me and my sister her powers of attorney. She named us her healthcare surrogates. And that allowed me to actually step in pretty quickly and help her with her finances. We took that power of attorney document to her bank, let the bank know that I was the power of attorney. And then as I had to get more involved, I would send copies of that document to her other financial institutions so that I could manage her credit card accounts, so I could manage her investments. Without power of attorney, you have no power. You right. cannot sign checks for your parent. You cannot conduct real estate transactions. You can't sell the house if the house needs to be sold. You have to go to court to Probate. be named your it's parent's awful. conservator. Oh, it's awful. You, you're putting your parent on trial to prove they're no longer competent. And it can cost several thousand dollars and you can spend several months doing this. And at the end, what you still have to do is file an annual report with the court showing how you're managing your parents' finances. You don't want to do this. You yeah, don't want to do this terrible. at all. And, and so, I'll, I'll link to um, Christian Raja Gopal podcast. She was actually one of my first guests on and she she's an estate planning attorney in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And she goes through what I call the big four documents that you just went through. Will, trust, durable power of attorney and healthcare power of attorney. This is, I mean, you've got to find this out and you've got, that's why these conversations wait because if there is that healthcare emergency, if there is cognitive decline, then it can be too late. And so you need to have that conversation at least, you know, especially if you're noticing any signs that your parent is experiencing memory loss, because that doesn't mean it's too late at this point. You get your parent in to meet with an attorney and the attorney is going to determine whether your parent is still competent enough to sign those documents. Um, were those were those just subtle things that you picked up on, Cameron, with, with your mom or how, what was that like? Okay, so here are some things to to pay attention to, because we all know that with age, we do experience some level of memory loss. I mean, we might forget where we put the keys, but, and these signs can be subtle. I mean, if your parent is, you know, forgetting things every now and then don't, you know, panic and think, oh my gosh, my parent has Alzheimer's disease. You need to make sure they get tested because there can be a whole slew of reasons why your parent is having memory issues. It's not necessarily Alzheimer's disease. Sometimes there are conditions that can be treated with medication. But if you are noticing a parent who was once very organized and now is no longer organized, the, the bills are piling up on the dining room table and they're not being open. You're seeing past due notices. That's a sign that your parent is having trouble staying on top of their finances. And the ability to handle money matters is one of the early signs and symptoms of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. In fact, there's new research out that found that a pattern of missed and late credit card payments showing up in people with dementia six years before there was ever even a diagnosis of dementia. So your parents could be having trouble with staying on top of their finances well before they're even showing signs of memory loss. So if they've gone from organized to disorganized, if you're seeing reminder notes around the house, for you know, like scribbled in the calendar, sticky notes on the cabinets. If there's like notes by the TV telling them how to turn on the cable, like a very simple thing that they used to be able to do easily. And now there's a reminder note. You need to pay attention to that. If, you know, your parent maybe has become withdrawn or there are changes in personality, that can be a sign. If there's changes in spending, suddenly, um, you know, mom is spending a lot more money than usual. Well, you know, there's a reason this can happen there. You know, your financial decision-making ability can decline. So pay attention to that sort of thing. If they 
seem to be writing a lot more checks to charitable organizations. And you can spot these if you are at their house and you're seeing those envelopes with the request, if they're all those free gifts, you know, the calendar from an organization or the those return labels that you put on your letters or the blankets or all those. I mean, my mom had so many of those because she was writing checks left and right to charitable organizations, um, expired food in the refrigerator multiple packages of the same thing in the pantry all of these can be warning signs that your parent is having memory issues and they need to be tested so you brought up a lot of good points and but what what happens if you're not around like you're not you don't live you live in a different state different city and you're not close physically it can be harder to spot these signs i would don't just have phone conversations call your parents by facetime or zoom so you can see them so you can see the background of the house because surely you've been to your parents house before you know what it usually looks like you know what mom usually looks like if there's a change in appearance if but even in the phone conversations your mom asks you a question you answer it and she asks you again and this is becoming a pattern and not just happening every now and then but a pattern of repeated questions this means that you maybe mom's short-term memory is starting to falter and so don't write it off then you pay an actual visit i mean most people most older adults a lot of them are vaccinated now if your parents are vaccinated if you're vaccinated you can have that in-person visit get in the car get on a plane and go plan on spending some time with them to see what's really going on so in your book you you put a lot of great resources and some of those resources i noticed showed up showed up on your website which we're going to link to your website and and to your book a terrific read um but can you go through a, a couple of those and it looks like a few of them you can actually access like on your you know smartphone on an app can you go through a couple of those with us uh, I'm assuming that you're talking about, I have a scam red flags sheet that people yes. can download. Yes. This is just a one page, you know, thing that you can print out, give to your parents. And it's the red flags of scams, such as request to wire money calls from someone claiming to be with a government agency, because I will tell you the IRS, Medicare, social security administration, they won't call, they communicate by mail. So I've got this whole list of red flags. You can give it to your parents, tell them to hang it up by the phone, on the refrigerator, and it's an easy way to start the conversation about money by talking to your parents about scams, letting them know that there are people out there who are going to try to take advantage of them and they need to be aware of these red flags so that they are not taken advantage of. And it's really, like, like I said, it's a good way to just kind of ease your way into having these financial conversations, print it out and give it to them. Um, another resource I have is it's in a case of emergency organizer. You can download it, give it to your parents. And this is it's a several page document. And again, it's another way to start the conversation. Your parents might not want to tell you information about their finances, but if you can get it to get them to write that information down and this this document, I mean, covers everything. What's the social security number, the Medicare number, um, you know, what are they, what accounts do they have? What are the usernames and passwords? Tell them to fill it out, put it someplace safe, tell you how to access it and under what circumstances. So that information is there if you need it. And sometimes parents, if they don't want to tell you, they're willing to write it down. And this allows them to maintain control because a lot of this is about control and not wanting to give up control over information about their finances and finances themselves. And so 
print out the document, ask them to fill it out, <laughs> ask them to hang on to it, just tell you how to access it along with where are those legal documents so you can access them when the time comes. So yeah, those are two free resources that I have on my website. Okay. And what, like I said, we'll definitely put in the show notes a link to that, to your, to your site there. You know, one of the things that I found that's helpful over the years is to have, um, I, I try to digitize everything. So like all these estate planning documents, you know, I have signed doc, you know, state plans for virtually all my family office clients. And so they're, they're there ready to be accessed when, you know, cause I have several, like I have one family in particular, I think of, you know, they, they live here in Michigan, but they have daughters that live, um, you know, in other states. So it's it wouldn't be as easy for them to, you know, get back up here as quickly if God forbid something happened. So there's, you know, th- that's one way that I try to make sure that I cover the bases with with people is having those some of those doc- documents digitized. Um, are there any other, I guess, resources or things that you want to point out? you know, within the book that we haven't covered so far? I know we talked a lot about how to, you know, take that first initial step and engage in the conversation. And I think you've laid out a lot of great examples and, you know, we use the word reframing um, to, to have the, some of those initial conversations. But is there anything else that you want to make sure that, you you know, the audience knows or you highlight Well, you know, in addition to finding out whether your parents have those essential legal documents, gathering as many details as you can about their finances, it's really important to have conversations about long-term care because there is a really high chance that at least one of your parents will need long-term care at some point. More than half of adults 65 and older need long-term care, and that is assistance with the daily activities of living, bathing, dressing, eating, going to the bathroom. Long-term care can be provided at home. It can be provided in an assisted living facility, memory care facility, nursing home. If there is any sort of professional care, though, that is expensive. And that's why most people rely on family. But if your parent is counting on you to be that family caregiver, you need to know this. You need to know if you are your parent's long-term care plan, because this is going to affect your finances. I mean, I can tell you, caregiving can be a full-time job. And honestly, you can't do it alone. You, you, you cannot... If your parent has really high needs, you cannot be the one who's providing that care 24-7. You cannot stay awake around the clock to keep an eye on your parent. And so you need to be discussing with them the possibility that they might need care. You need to discuss with them what sort of care they would be willing to receive if they only want to get care in their home. Okay, well, is their home set up to accommodate care needs? I mean, if they're in a two-story home, how are they going to get up and down the stairs if they need a walker? How are they going to get in the front door if there's stairs to get to the front door? Maybe mom and dad need to go ahead and downsize into a one-story home or an apartment or a condominium now so that they can age in place. And if, you know, if mom and dad are both still living, how is mom going to provide care for dad She's in her 80s. How can she move dad in and out of the bed? She's not going to have the strength to do that. There needs to be a plan to pay for care if necessary or to have family members pitch in. But there need to be these conversations to have that plan. Because if you're trying to put that plan together when that emergency happens, you have fewer options. And emotions are going to be running high. And, you know, you're not going to be thinking as rationally. So have the conversation before there is ever a need for care. So as we kind of wrap up our, our conversation and 
I didn't ask you this before we started recording, but it's the final question I ask all of my guests, which is, what is the best thing about being a parent? And I didn't ask you if you even have kids. So if you have kids, what's the best thing about being a parent? Because, you know, our, like we've talked about, our focus is on family. And I think having this conversation and bringing this topic to light, Cameron, like you've done, um, is a tremendous um, gift, I would say, to so many families and the community at large. So thank you for writing the book. So from your perspective, what is the best thing about being a parent? I have three kids. Um, Certainly the cost of raising kids is not the best thing. (laughs) As anyone who has kids know, kids are expensive. Gosh, I mean, I I just, I love it. I love everything about being a parent. I love watching my kids grow up and anyone who has young kids who have heard people tell them time and time again, oh, they grow up so fast. It's true. I mean, you're probably tired of hearing that, but it's so true. My oldest is going to be a senior in high school. My youngest is nine. I am just like hanging on to every moment of him still being a little kid because I know how fast it goes. I mean, my daughters are, one's going to be in college soon. She is going to be gone. But I just, I love, I love being their mom. I love, I love that relationship. I love, like I said, I love watching them grow up. I love watching them become their own people. Um, and I like being able to hopefully help them become good people. And I, and I feel like I've I feel like I've done a pretty good job because I have some pretty awesome kids. They are really kind, considerate, wonderful people, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cameron, I can't. Th- I think that's a great way to end our our conversation or wrap up our conversation. I I love asking that question because everybody thus far has had a completely different response and. I really love yours. You can tell, you know, the, you know, in the sound of your voice, how, how much your, your kids mean to you. And, and I'm sure it, it reciprocates. So uh, Cameron, I cannot thank you enough for being on the emotional balance sheet podcast and bringing this important uh, topic to light. And I'm sure that uh, this is the first of many conversations we'll have together on this, on this topic. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.